Charles Noe. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 239. Jason and I have asked Mr. Tom Barnett back uh, from Australia. So it's later than Jason and I usually record here in the United States on the Eastern Seaboard and very early or relatively early in the day for Tom. Uh, anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good evening, Crow. So we had some craziness today, but that will be behind us by the time this airs. We'll do a live stream to cover what happened with episode 233, which I have removed, but I'm walking away from that, and that's probably the last thing you're going to ever hear me say about it. Um, Today, we're excited to have Tom back. Uh, We just did an episode, which will be the previous Thursday from the Thursday you were listening to this, that had to do with law. Um, And it spins your head, even just the simple knowledge of understanding the difference between uh, the realms that we exist in when we live as human beings in this world, private or public. Uh, The fact that only one of those is about living men and women. Uh, It's crazy where we've come to, but this is exactly why we've asked Tom back, um, because we want to begin to address human consciousness and things like this um, as it relates to to the condition we find ourselves in. So anything you want to get in, Jason, before we get Tom in? Well, Tom was a fantastic person to have on last time, but I think this one might be about a lot more positive things and not just about how crazy the insanity of the law and the convoluted mess that they've got us trapped in. But yeah, I think this will be a lot more positive for everyone. Indeed. So let's go ahead and jump in. Welcome, Tom. Welcome back. Quick turnaround. Yeah, quick turnaround. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad to be back, though. Thanks for having me. Hey, if it works, it works. If it's not broken, don't try to fix it. Um, So let's jump in here. It's been my contention. I've made quite a few things very plain and clear that I accept or correct at this point in time. One of those things is that we're coming to the end of a cycle, which will be at the low point of the sun on December 12th, or I'm sorry, uh, 1221, December 21st, 2020, which will be the winter solstice, which is one of the biggest days of the sky clock year. It's why we put our biggest holiday there, by the way, Christmas. Uh, it's not to do with the things you've been told, unless hypermaterialism is what you're celebrating. Um, but the other thing is the grand conjunction, which is generational, once in a generation. In a lifetime, people might see three, if you're lucky, four, roughly every, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, we got 9-11 on the back of the last one. But this one isn't falling on just any old day. It's falling on the solstice itself. But to back up a little bit, it's also been my contention that we really began to notice a rise in human consciousness sometime around the millennium. People pick all kinds of dates, so roughly in the neighborhood of the year 2000. Um, What's happened, we've entered a world that's done just about everything it can to crush that rising consciousness. So what do you think, Tom? Yeah, I agree. I think when we're talking about the rising of consciousness or a new age of anything, um, I think we kind of got into it a little bit at the end of the last interview, but I've always seen in my experience that it has always been offered as a potential and not necessarily just a given. So while that is certainly an energetic uh, potential that we're moving into, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the powers that be are doing their darndest to make sure that uh, human potential doesn't I guess, rise to where it can be. So I think we're being offered a, uh, you know, a gift and, and the potential to become more than we are now, to step into a new reality and to become uh, you know, more fully realized as individuals and as a race, I guess, as well. But we're going to have obstacles in the way and it does take 
inner work to be able to meet and to uh, reach and attain that potential that we're being offered. In a weird way, it's almost like we're mirroring um, the Adjustment Bureau, I think is the name of the movie. It's an old Andy, or what's his name, Philip K. Dick novel it was drafted from. But it's outlining the ideas that we're going to cover to some degree, and we may get into law again here, where in the movie, the people are basically controlled. They're adjusted, they're told what to do, they're steered in the directions that are required until they begin to act like adults that are responsible mm -hmm. for themselves, and they demand the ability to make their own decisions. And I don't know what you think, but it kind of mirrors what we see now. Uh, you're, you're told to do these things that are not legal orders. Uh, mostly it's suggestions that are given very forcefully and people change their whole way of being. And this is a prime example. Uh, as a race, are we adults? Do we determine our own destiny or do we need someone to tell us what to do? I don't know if you've seen that movie. But what do you think? There's quite a corollary there. Yeah, huge. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, but I'm familiar with the story. And, uh, you know, it is very, well, at least in certain circles, it's very well known that everything, every structure in the world, every um, what we consider maybe evil thought process or what have you, has always been offered to us in some way, shape or form, whether it's through song, cartoons, uh, movies, books, whatever. These are written a lot of the times by uh, people in the secret societies. And they put them out because it's their form of offering us the, it's like nobody can turn around and then say, hey, you didn't tell us. You didn't tell us that you had this agenda. They've told us in many ways all of the time, every single day. They hide all of their signs in plain sight, as people say. And it's really, uh, <laughs> from their point of view, they're not lying to us and they're not hiding anything. They are actually showing and telling us. It's just whether or not we're docile enough to actually just not notice, or if we are able to, through our own, you know, uh, our own growth and our own ability to start seeing things, then we start to notice this and we say, hey, that movie that they made, they were actually telling us exactly what's going on. You know, uh, Adjustment Bureau, Matrix, uh, pretty much every movie, to be honest, there's so many that actually tell us little bits of the puzzle, little bits of the and pieces of what goes on and what they intend to go on if we do not wake up to it and say, okay, well, that's what's going on. That's what they're telling us they are going to do in the future as well. And then we, as you said, take our own responsibility and we stop living, we stop walking into the story that they have created and we start creating our own story. But only an adult can make their own story. That's kind of the definition. Like most people in society are children around 12 years of age, mentally, emotionally and spiritually and under, like 12 years old and under, walking around in adult bodies. And that's why we see a lot of the, uh, you know, the behaviors that we see in the world, the way people treat each other, the way we fail in a lot of ways to reach enough common ground to keep creating something uh, that is more beneficial and greater for everybody. We keep seeing, too, in too many situations, we keep seeing that we work against one another and that we end up devolving into childish nature. So... That definition of being adult is simply to take responsibility for what we create moment to moment. And that's, you know, that's always a potential for anybody, but it does take, you have to do certain steps to be able to get there.
Well, that's it's a perfect idea. Let me finish this, Jason. I'll throw it over to you because you used the date of 12. Jason and I just covered this. People are bar mitzvahed or quinceaneras typically happen when you reach that magical teen. You Now you're a teen. You're something different. And the 12 standing in for the 12 stations of the sun. You've been around so that the 12 has done or the sun has done its 12 stations. But I'll proffer a quick example before I kick it over to Jason here. If you had never seen a single movie or TV show in your life and you hadn't served in the military during wartime or something like that, uh, how much violence would you have ever seen in your life? Would you have ever seen anyone shot and killed? Would you have ever seen anyone beaten to death? And this is a prime example of what we're getting at because in many ways, even our idea of anger and violence and all these other things has literally been given us through entertainment. And uh, I I think it's important to consider where our ideas come from. For my part, a long time ago, I decided not to get mad anymore, but it's one thing to say you're going to do that. It's a whole other thing to do it because when you sit down to do it, you have to recognize what is making me upset. Why am I getting mad? And then it comes down to whose thoughts were those in the first place? Were those even my thoughts and my ideas that were making me angry? And it's a crazy thing when you start to get into it. But anyhow, Jason, go ahead. So we definitely have heard a lot when you start looking to this kind of information about this karmic thing that the controllers, the elites, whatever you want to call them, seem to play by. They seem to play by their karmic rules, whatever you want to call it. What do you know about that, Tom, and what do you think about all that? Well, my understanding is really only basic in that regard, and that is that uh, if they have given us the opportunity to... Uh, you know, voice on consent or to not go along with what they are offering. Um, as we spoke about in the legal episode last time, we talked about uh, <clears throat> everything that's given to us from the public in the public realm is essentially only an offer. It's a contractual offer. So if they have given us the disclosure of what's going on, then they're not hiding and deceiving. And then under uh, God's law, then there's not the same karmic ramifications. It's like if I said to you, um, hey, I'm actually going to come around to your house at 6 p.m. today and I'm just going to steal your bike because I feel like having a bike. And you then know that I'm coming. You can say, hey, look, I don't want you to do that. And if you do that, I'll press charges or you know, I'll throw a rock at you or I'll hide my bike so it's not actually going to be there. You have the opportunity then to, to act or to react or to not act at all. And then if I come to, and take your bike on some level, to me, it's still wrong, <laughs> But on some level, it has less of a karmic, there's less karmic blowback because it's almost like you have then said, it's okay to come and take my bike. If you don't hide it, if you don't tell me not to come and come and take it, it's almost as if you have then said, you can have my bike. I still don't think it's right that I go and take it, but from their point of view, and this is only my understanding, but I think from their point of view, they then think that under God's law, which they cannot escape, uh, then they've got a bit more of a free pass. That's my understanding anyway. Some some of that stuff doesn't pass muster, and it's a, it's a mystery to me whether they're just drinking their own Kool-Aid. good Jewish friend of mine in San Diego who was raised in the Hebrew, Hebrew tra- tradition and bar mitzvahed, um, spoke the language, could read the language. Um, he explained this to me, um, and I guess this is out of the Talmud, one of these karmic ideas is this. So um, a Jewish man's hauled in front of the Jewish court and they say, did you kill that non-Jewish man? And he says, well, hell no, I didn't kill him. I just tied him up. He starved to death. 
the idea yeah. there being that somehow the tying up was not the death. And I don't give a darn who or what you think you are. That doesn't pass muster. The logic of it is the death would not have occurred had the tying up of the individual not occurred. So how you somehow extract yourself from the karma dead is beyond me. But I think I think we both know, Tom, um, all this pre-echoing in movies is, is just exactly what you've laid out. Are you so damn sleepy that you're going to call that coincidence or, or conspiracy? Or are you going to open your eyes? And realize it's not just this movie, it's every damn movie. And at some point, you've got to realize, why is this being done? And I'm with you all day long. I think it's an effort to alleviate what I call universal law. And that is that you cannot forcefully infringe on the free will of another. And I'll tell you another thing. It's almost to the point with all I've learned about law, that when a child gets old enough to talk, some adult ought to come in and sit down and say, okay, listen carefully. The offers will follow shortly, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> because no one ever gets that. And we never understand that the offer is being made until, I mean, what am I? I'm in my fifties. How old was I by the time I understood these were all offers? Probably in my late forties, by the time I finally understood that these are offers. Like when I used to get my insurance stuff, I didn't think that was an offer. I thought it had to be done. Well, if I don't do this, I lose my license, but it's gotten so blatantly obvious that now when I get my insurance stuff at the very top of the page, it said, here's the offer. And I just sit there, (laughs) I I sit there in my kitchen cracking up saying, look at this, honey, here's the offer. But anyhow, I'm with you. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. I mean, you, you just nailed it. It's uh, imagine if, and this is the thing, there is the potential. There was, there has always been the potential for us to have learned this when we were young and this is. I think one of the areas where people get a little disheartened and uh, and this relates really heavily to what we're talking about today because people tend to wake up when they're maybe 30, 40 kind of age where uh, they start to realize that they've had the wool pulled over their eyes for the last few decades. And then they always say, the first thing what they say, they say, I wish I knew this when I was 18 or 12 or whatever. That's what everybody says. I wish I knew that these foods did this and they were poisoning my brain. I wish that I knew that this was how the law works and I could stand up for my rights. I wish I knew not, you know, that I didn't have to have all this debt or have it had to have gone through these uh, schooling systems or what have you. Everybody always says, I wish if I could go back and et cetera. So the point of that is, uh, yeah, that's true to some degree, but also that frustration and either anger or despair or whatever emotion comes up, that also is an opportunity to, I guess, foster more self-growth because none of those emotions uh, actually help you to become more than what you are. And I think we're always given what we're given at the right time. So if it wasn't our time to have woken up, say, when we were 15 or 16 or younger, then it just wasn't the right time. It's like as a practitioner, I'm always careful of what I give to each person, because if you give somebody something that is they're not capable of uh, either understanding or taking in or assimilating or even hearing, if you give that to them at the wrong time, you're actually doing them a disservice. So if you have access to more information than others have, you kind of have to be very discerning and engage who you're talking to, because if you tell them something that they form a mental block over immediately because they were just incapable of taking that in, then when the time comes that they could take that in, they're actually going to be further behind because they already have an energetic block to that being a reality. 
So you, you may actually be delaying somebody's uh, growth and their time that they'll actually start waking up if you give them something too early, which is why, uh, you know, when I was treating people a lot, I had to be very careful in that regard about what I told them about themselves or about the world or about, uh, you know, pretty much anything. So uh, it is always, as I said, it's that um, opportunity and it's the potential that we're dealing with. And I think it's exciting when people do come, even if they're 60 years old and they start to realize what's going on, that's still a, a really good opportunity because also if you're starting to get down these lines of thought, you realize that time is not this linear construct that we're also uh, dealt out in our uh, formal education. So then that's something else that can be used to get a greater understanding of the self and the world around us. I've said it so many times. You have to be careful proffering information. I have people come and yell at me publicly in forums. Crow, why don't you just tell the truth? And why don't you just say it like it is? And, you know, I thought about this for a long time. I knew why I was doing it. And finally, I realized the response. What good does it do to teach someone advanced algebra that can't even add and subtract yet? What it does is it sets them back further. Um, which is exactly what you're saying. But um, you looking to get in on this at all, Jason, or should I just bogart this joint, my friend? I'll keep going. <laughs> um, one, one of the big things that's really occurred um, is a lot of older people, like you're saying, in their 60s are catching on. And I've said, you know, it's my contention, too, that if people live to be 150 years old, a lot of this nonsense would be gone. The idea of war, so many things would be gone. It's almost like our lifespan has been geared to allow what's happened around us. Um, look at all the biblical accounts. How did they know way back in the day to, to top a human life at 120 years or whatever it says? Um, because that's pretty much the line that you don't see crossed. I suppose it has been here and there, but for the most part, that really is the line. How did they know it? Um, so there's something to all these things. But what I find is when the older folks um, really start to, to cue in, it's substantially more dramatic, the effects that happen. And I think part of it is just uh, a mature push, a person putting that into the mind stream. It's almost like the hundredth monkey idea. Um, but then again, I see so many younger people. We see tw people in their 20s coming along uh, that are realizing all this. And then that's powerful in a whole different way. Because where will that generation be when I'm dead and gone and they're sitting where I am now? having picked it up, you know, early in their 20s. But uh, where do you want to go from here, Tom? Where do you want to steer the conversation? Well, uh, I think you hit on a good point, which is that most of what we experience in the world is simply a construct of the mind. So war itself is a construct of the mind. And if people did not engage in that particular way of thinking, then wars wouldn't actually happen. So you might think, oh, well, you can't avoid it, but it's not... I use this example all the time. People say there's an earthquake in uh, wherever. Let's say it's in the, in a state somewhere. Let's say it's in a third world country, right? And they say, well, it's going to cost $50 million to, to do that. But it doesn't cost $50 million to do anything because that's assuming you just drop a pile of $100 bills there, $50 million worth, and then the money does the work. But the money doesn't do anything. It's always people that do the work. So when you say that or when or like war is engineered and offered and everything else, it's people that get involved. If people didn't get involved because the mind, the construct of the mind was different, then what we see in the world would be completely different. Like you just said, we could live in a world without wars, without hunger. We could live in a, in a world where uh, yeah, we, don't, we don't contest each other all the time and we don't fight each other. And that, uh, 
we don't consume so much. We just have a completely different way of thinking that is not so predatory and is uh, much more uh, harmonious. And that is a comp- that is simply a construct of the mind. We can choose one way or another, but it's where the majority of people are. And the majority of people at the moment are in that asleep matrix world that is programmed and they're living out that programming. And then the people that are waking up are the ones that have come into the realization that that is a program. You know, we can choose a different way. We can, we can pretty much choose anything we want, but that comes down to the adulthood uh, principle, which is uh, standing on one's own two feet, uh, making our own decisions and uh, knowing that there are thoughts, actions, and then consequences, and that we take responsibility for those. We take responsibility for our thoughts. We realize that we are creating those. We realize that we are uh, responsible for our actions, and we are also responsible for uh, the consequences of any of our actions. And, and as long as we're not blaming others and we're not, uh, you know, trying to pass the buck to others, oh, well, that's not my fault because, you know, the government did this or this person did that or my husband or my wife did this. You know, we're not, we're not laying blame all the time and we are taking it on ourselves. And one last thing I'll say before we move to another topic is that I have seen, because I've spent a lot of time educating uh, younger people as well, and, you know, when I was growing up and, uh, you know, even now, like I'm younger than a lot of the people that I counsel, for example, and I have seen in the eyes of nine-year-olds today, I see that I, I, I like see who and what they are and they're far more advanced than I am. Um, people, a lot of people think that I'm more advanced than them that are older than me and so on and so forth. And I just think that nature always has this way of self-regulating. And when you look at the principles of say star seeds and or however you want to look at that, uh, nature is always going to put in something to balance out the world. And I see so much uh, advancement that, uh, in, in some of the young people today. But again, that's only, that is only the potential because they have that potential. They're extremely bright and intelligent and there's something in them that is extraordinary. But they're going into a world with smartphones, iPads, uh, Wi-Fi everywhere, 5G. They're going to be on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat they're going to be surrounded by people who aren't as uh, you know aware as them. They're going to be injected with things if their parents are allowing that. And so everything that they have in them is simply a potential. And it's really only up to them if they realize that potential. But it's also a little bit up to us to see that that, that is there and to help not tell them what to do, but to offer, you know, just to offer. Same thing as what the elite do to us. We can only offer to others. Um, it's never our responsibility to go, you should do this. This is the best course of life for you. It's just that offer. And more than anything, it's leading by example. So when you say that, uh, you know, you mentioned before about uh, it's great that 20-year-olds are you know, starting to learn this stuff that you didn't learn until you were 40-something. And anything that's theory is uh, interesting, but what really affects change is inspiration. So they want to see us acting as men and women. They want to see us as the example of, uh, of being self-responsible and taking control of our own lives. And they want to see in us that we are fearless and that we are content and happy. We're not walking around with anger. We're not walking around saying, I know how the law works, for example, but you've got this massive chip on your shoulder and you're angry the whole time. You're not, you know, that, that doesn't inspire people. That's like, well, that guy's not really... You know, kids are smart. They know. <laughs> Even if they can't explain it, they feel it on a deep level. They go, well, I'm hearing this from John or Mark or Susie, 
but I'm seeing something that is not quite congruent. So therefore, am I going to take on what they're saying? It just sounds like a whole bunch of words to me. Or do they look at us as adults and just think, well, there is something resonant about that person that I can feel and that inspires me. And now what they're saying, what's coming out of their mouth is going to land with me a lot more because I want to be like that. I can see that they are completely congruent. They have integrity and they are a fearless being that is walking the path of uh, God, say, as opposed to, you know, walking that path of just a lot of words and trying to tell me what to do, but not really doing what they're saying and, and all that kind of thing. So again, it's, it's always potential. We have the potential to inspire and these younger ones coming through definitely have the potential you know, you mentioned at the start that we're coming into a new age. I think everything that uh, as new generations are born, they are born with this probably a higher energy, uh, but it's, it has to be realized. It has to be, um, you know, it has to be taken and not just taken as a given. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you think the hypo is about? But go ahead, Jason. You know, one of the things I would suggest that this whole modern situation is about is because too many people were kind of, sort of, starting to get with the program, or more to the point, buck the program, and starting to figure it out. And this is an easy way to blanket everything all over the world and get people to get back in line. Well, you know, I'll add something based on what both of you just said. In my lifetime, the big epiphany moments have been, and I realized this as before I started doing the podcast, but it, it's guided me the whole time I've done this. Um, for some reason, I'd been told this thing before, but it didn't hit me. It didn't resonate. I didn't take it on board. And then I heard it again. I might even heard it five times, but then finally I hear it and it's said in a way that hit home so hard, everything changes. Uh, one of those times I can remember um, is I was a Marine during the first Gulf War and I was in my 20s when I finally recognized why they call it the theater of war. I remember the day it happened. Schwarzkopf, I think, said it. Um, and from that day forward, I'd never forgot it. I don't know why being told in that way, but if someone would have told me when I was in my 20s, words have meaning. And if you understand the meaning, it's a clue to what you can't see in front of your face, whether it would have helped me or not. And then think about what Tom just said. Sometimes it just, when you're not ready, it doesn't matter what you're told. Um, but what do you think about that? The idea, offering to people the idea that words have meaning. I, I swear when we do all these podcasts, half the time I'm sitting there thinking about how, what are the words to be used here to try to deliver this in the most helpful way where the most people can at least consider it. But what if someone went down that avenue to try to help people to catch on to what's going on around us? Simply words have meaning and you use a thousand of them a day and I'm guessing you only know accurately what about 10% of them mean. Do you think that's a helpful avenue? Yeah, absolutely. I would think most people wouldn't even know what 10% of the words mean that they're using. <laughs> right. But uh, there's, there's, a, there's a book that's come out, uh, I don't know if it's fairly recently, but a few people have, have mentioned it to me. It's called Word Magic. And I think the guy's name is Pao Chang, P-A-O Chang. And that's all about the, uh, the, the meanings behind words and the way that words can sound phonetically similar, but have vastly different meanings and also where the origins of the word come from. So I played with this idea when I was about 17, I think. And I remember, I remember it because people were telling me that, oh, this means this and that means that, and you have to use the right words. Otherwise, you're communicating something completely different. And at that time, I thought, well, but what if the intention behind the word is what's important and not the word itself? Because does the question was, 
does a word carry inherent meaning? And what first drew me to this was I was in a, I was quite rebellious when I was younger and I was in a yoga class that I got dragged to and I'm not much of a singer. It was one of those Kundalini uh, yoga classes and I, I don't really like to sing in a group, not because I don't like to sing, but because I know that my voice just doesn't resonate with everybody else's and it's a bit off-putting. And uh, so they wanted you to chant all these words and they said, you say, you sing Ra because when you say Ra, it, it means the sun and it brings in the sun and it brings in, or it, might, it was Ra or something else. And I, I just, in the moment, I just thought, but does it? Because if you just said, if you made a certain sound frequency, which is what a word is, then wouldn't I inherently just look up to the sun or look to the uh, heavens or look to wherever? Because that word is, that sound is resonating with, with the, uh, the universe itself. But it really seems as though we learn the meaning of words and therefore it, that, again, is a construct of the mind. So if I were to say to you, uh, what's a good example? If I were just to say to you that, you know, I use words like person or I use words like, uh, you know, um, consideration or or uh, anything to do with, uh, you know, satisfaction, anything that can be used against you legally, for example, if the intention behind the word is pure and you know what I mean, I, I think, and this is only, I'm only really posing a question, I'm not making a statement here, but I think that the intention, uh, I wonder if the intention is more important than the word itself. Having said that, I do think that it is hugely important to get to know the meaning of words because otherwise you don't know when somebody is pulling the wool over your eyes with the words that they're using. You may not be able to uh, separate the intention from the word itself. So I do think 100% that it's, it's very, uh, it's very, it should be something that we all learn. And I also wondered at that time when I was younger, it, it just put me into a, a question spiral. And I was thinking, do words have inherent meaning? And have we just not been taught that? Do the sounds carry inherent meaning? And then I thought, well, what about the shape of letters? Like, is there a metaphysical basis for the shape of every letter? So why is there a curve in an A and, and, uh, or a straight line in an L or whatever? Like, do they carry inherent meaning? And then I was thinking, well, there's so many different languages and everybody uh, does things differently. So is there some commonality between all of the written languages? Is there some metaphysical origin for all of the different shapes that make up the different letters of each alphabet around the world? And, um, you know, I never got to all of those answers, but I went through that questioning process that kind of got me to uh, the understanding that, and it's only my understanding, but uh, if we innately understand ourselves, then the words that come out of us carry more meaning. And if we innately understand ourselves, then we can discern what is being offered to us in the form of words from others. Uh, and I kind of came to the conclusion not long after that, that if we were to evolve to our next stage of, of being, we would dispel with this linear format of language. Because right now I'm speaking to you and I started a couple of minutes ago on this monologue that I'm doing and, uh, and you're decoding it one, one kind of fragment at a time because it's coming out in a linear fashion. However, if I could emit a tone similar to what say a bird does, I could emit a singular tone and within that tone could be coded all of the information that I'm trying to say. So it'd be like a zip file on the computer where you just put it all into this, this one thing and you emit a single tone and depending on the frequency of that tone, it could be encoded with an encyclopedia of information that you would assimilate in just in, a, in an instant. It wouldn't be, you wouldn't have to unpack it and go through it all 
and it would take hours and hours, it would be an instantaneous reception uh, and assimilation of, of information based on the encoded frequency of that particular tone as opposed to all of these words that I'm just speaking now. Well, I think I'm with you 100%. Um, I did similar things with the idea of intent. And to me, it's the apex concern. But this is the trap, isn't it? Because we live in a system that doesn't give a damn about intent because procedure crushes intent. But we both know, based on a more righteous or maybe godly idea or nature's idea of what's correct, that if you're intending to do a thing, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, that tells you whether you should trust a source. Like we know the intent of the evening news. Once you grow up enough to understand what that intent is, now you know what the evening news is good for. Um, but it takes so many people so long. But you see, when you get into a courtroom, your intent doesn't matter. Your intent is going to be crushed by procedure, by rules, by regulation, by tricks of language. And there's the perversion. And there's the dark side. And there's everything that goes against nature. Um, because if you go to nature, uh, you could almost, maybe in a different way, assign an intent to everything. You plant the oak tree. The intent is that that will become an oak tree. And so everything that requires that seed to do what it needs to to start to become an oak tree is the intent of whatever created it or for even the seed itself. If you see the lion, what's the intent of the lion? The lion's going to kill a zebra because it needs to live. There's the intent of the lion. It's not hidden. It's not obscured. It's not crushed by procedure. It's not ignored. It is what it damn is on the Serengeti plane. Everybody knows there's a hyena. Everybody knows there's a gazelle. Um, the rules are on the table for all to see. But in these systems that we addressed in the last episode with you, it's almost like the law that is being implemented is designed to ignore what is called the spirit of law. How many times have you seen that court show where, where the lofty lawyer is up there and says, well, we're this, that, and the other thing, but we don't want to violate the spirit of the law. So basically what he's saying there is when this law was created, there was an intent. And if we violate the spirit of this law, then what it was intended to do is being misused. And yet the entirety of the law system now could give a damn about intent. What do you think? I uh, agree 100%. Yeah, it's a really good point to bring up, actually. Uh, there's always, you know, it's funny, though, because within any point, there's a lot of, uh, you could go down any kind of path with the uh, <laughs> with following. So I'll give you a quick example. One is that, uh, you know, before we got on air, we spoke about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is essentially the precursor to the Bible, and that they themselves were, you know, somewhat bastardized by the, uh, the Vatican. So the laws are meant to be made from the Bible, but the laws... But then the tune of the Bible has been changed on purpose to suit the story of the ruling power, which is essentially the Vatican. So we're not really dealing with natural uh, nature or God law. We're, we're really dealing with a man-made perversion, kind of bastard, perversion <laughs> yeah, of that. So at so when <laughs> there's a um, there's a biblical passage that says I can't remember who said it, but it's you, you can't serve two masters. You can you choose one or the other. You either choose God or because there was we were never supposed to have government. When man created government, uh, it was essentially saying that, uh, you know, you, you've chosen that master then and you can't serve two masters. So we're no longer serving under God. We're serving man and, and man made rules and regulations, which are not, uh, you know, they don't carry that divinity. So then everything that is in the court systems is essentially perverted from the get go. Um, <laughs> the caveat to that is. 
I, I remember uh, last chat I told I mentioned um, a couple of magistrates that I know of that tried to help the people along because they saw maybe good in them. And again, we're only dealing with people. We are dealing with the system and regulations, yes, of course. But at the end of the day, we're still dealing with with people. And I, everybody, I think, can give numerous examples in their own life of you know, rules and regulations being bent or skirted or whatever because they had a connection with the man or the woman who was there to enforce or to uh, enact those regulations. And, you know, you've, you've been cut some slack here or given a free this there instead of paying or whatever. It's always there. So we are still dealing on that level. We can still operate on that level of just completely cutting out all the rules, regulations and man-made um, <clears throat> perversion of what is actual natural law, because we can always access that in another person. So whether or not that other person is completely devoid of their own spirituality, and then probably there's no chance of that connection, or maybe that's just because we are not developed enough to inspire that in another. Um, you know, who knows what the answer is there. But uh, at the same time, you think of somebody like uh, Nelson Mandela or uh, anyone who is incarcerated, and they never... You know, you said earlier that the law isn't stacked in our favour like that. We could go into a courtroom, we don't know what we're talking about, and inadvertently end up in jail. But then, you know, for most of us, that's uh, that's not that incites, you know, uh, frustration, anger, those those feelings of that of being hard hard done by, and that is not fair. We think that that is not a fair thing for, to happen. But what if that is actually a part of our evolution, personal evolution? And rather than fighting that, if we actually went into that experience fully of being incarcerated and to not harbour the anger and to come out the other side and to inspire millions of people because of who we, who, first of all, who we are in the first place, but also who we became as a result. And, you know, there are people in history that have been wrongly incarcerated for a long time and come out and had a great effect on the world because they didn't fight what was going on. They didn't run from the experience that was being offered. And only to the ego is being in jail or being out in the free world different. Uh, sorry, uh, better or worse. It's just different. It's just a different experience. Only the ego will judge one as right and wrong, one as better or worse. Um, but to the, you know, to a higher power or a higher self, it's really just a different experience. And it's always what what how we choose to, I guess, um, how we choose to experience that experience. We can choose whether or not that's a heaven or hell on earth. And um, so, yeah, while I'm certainly in favour of giving everybody the opportunity to, I guess, choose a, a more favourable outcome for themselves and taking that personal power, uh, I think it's important to not run from things. And this is when I deal with people who, who go through depression, for example, I, I uh, offer to them to not run from the depression. And when you can not run from something and you turn to it and you embrace it and you say, okay, well, let's have this experience. Show me what you've got. Who am I going to become as a result? Uh, you, people are surprised at what can come out of that. And quite often it's extreme creativity or extreme uh, potential for love and, and things that they'd never got before because before they were fighting it, they were, they were ruining that situation they were in. But if you turn to face it and you dive into it, it doesn't necessarily make it unpainful but it can have a far lesser effect it doesn't it doesn't rule you it doesn't control you and grip you then and it's almost like you're more free to play around in that space and as a result uh, you just don't know what you're capable of in any situation and especially when you're tested that's when you know the bible and many spiritual tests uh, texts 
talk about being tested, having 40 days and 40 nights and having, you know, uh, to, to be tested in many ways. And that is when you find yourself more than anything. You don't find it while you're surrounded by rainbows and lollipops and laying around in beanbags, floating around in a swimming pool. That's not, that's, that's enjoyable and it's relaxing, but that's not where you find uh, those, those deeper parts of yourself. It's always when you're tested. So yeah, anyway, the whole point of that, <laughs> the whole point of that whole thing was that there's always opportunity in every situation. And, and I always think that we should be learning as much as we can about the world so that we can navigate it um, based on our, our true selves and our higher selves. However, if and when we end up in a situation that we may not see as favorable, if we can reframe the way we look at that, it can, it can be something that propels us um, further than just what information and knowledge could have done in the first place had we avoided it. So I don't see that there's, there's always a truly negative outcome for something depending on how we ourselves are able to go into that and what we can make of it. So there's a couple of good points to be made, particularly with the, the observation you met dealing with depression. Uh, I've used this example to describe exactly that and trying to find the right words that someone could think about it, but it mirrors this whole mask idea too. Um, the difference between human beings and animals in one way that's helpful to think about is animals mostly live a reactionary lifestyle. The deer's in the field, he hears a branch break, he runs. He could be killed. Truly, he could be killed. So that's what he does. He hears a noise, he reacts. Um, a human being doesn't have to live that way. A human being can be walking through the woods and hear the noise, and they can think, and they can plan, and they can do all these things, which is analogous to what's going on in our world now. And this is the animal paradigm being brought to bear. We said this thing, now you react and put this thing on your face. That's reacting all the time. And there's the non-adult paradigm being pulled down around you. But it also relates, you know, you mentioned uh, the serving of two masters. I went at that passage in the Bible so many times that I even recall that it's Matthew 6, 20 something, 21, 22 in that neighborhood. And the reason I know it is because I wanted to get to the intent of that important idea. Is it true you can't serve two masters? And so what I did is I went at three or four versions. I think I took a Lomsa Bible, a Geneva Bible, a King James Bible, and an NIV Bible, the NIV being the least important of all those Bibles from my point of view because of what's done to the language. And what I realized was, is if I only had one of these, what I would draw from it is vastly different from the other one. Um, but at the end of the day, I recognize that the lesson being taught here has merit. So how is it that this lesson that I can prove has merit is in this book? What does that tell me about the book? But you also mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think very few people are aware of how that story went down when they were supposedly first discovered. You know who had wholesale control of them? A Catholic priest who was actually smoking cigarettes in the room where they were doing the fragments, by the way, look up pictures of it if you like, but they controlled wholesale inside Israel, the supposed older versions of the Bible. Well, you can imagine why would the Vatican be interested in possibly an older version of the thing they've been peddling all along, right? But look what's happened in the last three months. They're now introducing into the narrative that parts of the Dead Sea Scrolls have been forged. So you can't even trust that. And I think it backs up everything Tom just said. Got any ideas to throw in here, Jason? Well, I've always been suspicious of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's for sure. I mean, come on, if the Vatican has control of something, what do you think is going to come out of it? I mean, come on. I mean, they even sat on it for, I forget for how many years. Wasn't it the 1990s when they finally released the bloody things in a book? 
while it was on it was on accident the story goes that someone finally got sick of the catholic church hoarding all this information that should be open to everyone because it has to do supposedly with the holy bible and they released it on the internet so it's attributed that that was one of the first big internet leaks well yeah <laughs> that it still had to come from out of the vatican though which is anyway that's beside the point I think everything we're talking about here, though, is about intent. Uh, Maybe we can kind of steer things that way while we got a little few minutes left here, Tom. How everything really comes down to the intent, and I say that to so many people pretty much every day at this point. Everything is about intent. What is the intent behind your words? What is the intent behind a number, behind a symbol? What's the intent behind being forced to wear a freaking mask everywhere you go? You know where I'm going there? Yeah, well, that's a great point because intent itself is the crux of being an adult or being a child and being aware and being unaware because you can you can only be uh fully realized and put into the world and create something that is fully realized if you understand and you know your intent if you don't know the intent that you're putting into a conversation or the intent that you're putting into a meal that you're making or the intent that you're you know you're doing with your your personal life your your work life or anything you're essentially not responsible. You're not. You're kind of living in that reactive uh, space. So intent is extremely. It's like supremely important because unless you are actually aware of your intent, you know. First of all, how can you create the reality in the life that you, you know, that is your calling? What the reason that you're here? Uh, and second of all, how can you ever really understand yourself or the world or those people around you? Because unless you are aware of that intent and it then it's, you can't be. And so it always, intent itself comes down to awareness, awareness of the self, awareness of the energies around and within you. Uh, so uh, I guess I've got nothing more to say on that unless there's, you know, there's more of a um, directive from yourselves. But I just think that that point you made is, is huge because intent, I think, for me, is everything. It's, it's the awareness. Well, here's the thing with the whole transhumanist movement, how they want to get into machines and all that kind of thing. A machine can't have self-awareness, therefore it can have no intent. Mm. This is something that's always stuck in my mind, that the, these people want to immortalize themselves, but a machine can't have intent. It can't have self-awareness. So what are they thinking here? The whole concept is broken. It's something that, that occurs to me over and over and over again. I mean, even with these stupid supercomputers, so you can crunch numbers faster. So what? That machine is still no more aware than my freaking toaster is. <laughs> it takes. I mean, isn't the main idea here that it takes direction, directions, right? That's what a machine does. It gets directed. It gets steered. But take that to the other end of the spectrum, to the new, the new life, the young life. I had this problem when I was young. I was called naive um, a lot when I was a young, young child. Um, and the reason was is because I didn't understand that people could purposely be acting like they're good, but really not be. I could not fathom when I was young. As I got older, I realized the idea behind that is, oh, that person is naive. But re- what's really going on there? That's really about intent, is it? Because the pure young child, they, they don't even need intent because their intent is pure for the most part. That's the innocence idea. In other words, they don't have beguilement and nasty ideas in them, you see. So by the time we get up to even having to label it intent, we've kind of crossed the Rubicon. I mean, you see where I'm going there, Tom? Yeah, I never thought of it that way. I 100% agree. That's um, that's that's amazing, and uh, <laughs> I mean that that goes down a, a long road. Actually, that would that would be a, a whole other episode, I think, to go down 
that path. But yeah, look, I think we're um, we are. I'm not. I, I wonder if it's every kid though, because almost everybody that I speak to, like yourself, when you just said that, that described me as well. When I was a kid, I just knew. I I, I had this inherent knowing that. Uh, what was being offered to me was not right. I could see it in my parents, my teachers, my friends' parents, all saying certain things, but I could see through the words that they were saying to where those words were coming from. And that intent was off. It was just not, there was no congruency there whatsoever. And then as I got older into my teens and I you know, was eating a lot of junk food and doing a lot of other things, that kind of waned a little uh, to the point where it just led to anger and rebellion. That, that's all I had. Uh, I, I didn't know the answers and I still at that stage did not have the mental, emotional or physical maturity to be able to stand up for myself. I was still, uh, I guess, oppressed at that stage by that lack of awareness of intention from those, from like you said, the innocence of a child innately has a true intention and a true intent because that is the innocence. But the adults are perverted. Uh, not all, but, you know, most. And again, I wonder if all kids have that feeling when they're young because I've, I've said that to other people and they just go, what? what are you talking about? So I just wonder if it's certain people that are born ready to be awoken at some point in their life when they are ready to step into that, when they don't fear stepping into that and when they have developed physical, mental, emotional and spiritual maturity enough to, be, to then be able to step into that and to no longer be oppressed. I, I'm actually not sure. It's a good question to ask whether every single soul on earth has that ability or if there are certain people that it's their path to not have that ability in this lifetime. And if they are a um, like a, a marker post for us to see and to also gauge ourselves based on others as well. Um, or is everybody meant to have that, but it's just a harder slog for others. They don't have those realizations as a young kid. Um, as we had, as we had, and it's funny because everybody I have these conversations with, they say what you said. <laughs> they say that they say, as a kid, I knew, but it was only until later in life. It wasn't until into my adult life when I had reached these other milestones that I then was able to see clearly. Well, what's unfortunate about this is I'm starting to realize as we're talking about it how critically important an idea this is to the young young people now because they're going to be far above some of them what will ever be in our lifetimes just because everybody's lifting and so is consciousness. But as it goes now online, you, you got to say this isn't for children. It's all very unfortunate, but here's, here's what happened to me. I knew what I was being told and expected to do was against every fiber of my body. And so the way I coped with it is I entered into lies and that has a price. And what I ended up doing is say, well, I couldn't hear. So then this whole thing that my hearing had a problem became. And whenever people were saying, well, why didn't you do this thing? Or how come that didn't happen? The, the lie that I was proffering to protect myself because I knew it wasn't right, that I didn't want to do it was I couldn't, I didn't hear it. Um, and that put me down a road where there's prices to pay if you're going to use lies to try to insulate yourself. And so you've got to wonder all these young people who are going to be lifting up mightily doing things that their parents would never be able to do at a very young age, but they're going to face these situations where they're going to see parts of the world that just do not ring true. And yet they're being expected to interact and be part of it. Uh, it's a hell of a thing, but I don't know how you deal with it in, in the current climate, but why don't you tell people Tom real quick where they can get a hold of you? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess uh, my email is probably the best. The email is info at 
global biodynamics with an S on the end. So global biodynamics.com. Um, yeah, okay. I'm happy to uh, take emails and things. So yeah, I'll just offer one quick thing because I know we're running out of time, but that is that uh, it is important for the, for the young people to know it, but it's also important, I think, for adults to be educated in a way that they can fully support the kids that they have because rather than thinking of kids as just yours and your property, in a legal sense, they are your property. But what most people don't realize, they always think that they're above their kids. Well, I know all this and I'm going to teach it to you and this is how I did it and this is how you'll do it. But they don't realize that the kids that they have are there to actually teach them more about themselves than, than they are there to teach the kids about the world. Because quite often that's like one of those paradoxes that um, all you're doing is indoctrinating the kid for the most part. Even with best intentions, it's still for the most part, unless you are a very aware human being yourself. Uh, so just understand if you are an adult that when you have kids come through, they come, th- they come from something other than yourself. And they, they come into the world for a very definite reason. And part of that reason, whether you think you planned for them or not, there are no accidents, that they are there to teach you something about yourself and to honour that in the, in the young child. And that rather then you're not oppressing that child's genius as they come through. You are actually allowing them to, to grow into that. And that in turn will create this better world that in, inherently I think we all want. And, and I think we get, in our own, we get in our own way from allowing that to happen. You know, part of the Western culture, we've lost so many traditions. Um, and if I was going to be a parent in the modern day, I would always keep forefront in my mind. Don't be dismissive of what a young child is telling you. Um, there's all these examples of when children had kind of tapped in with their innocence, these higher ideals that probably no one else can bring to the world, um, even about what, what, what was going on right before they were born, ideas like this. And the parents don't understand and they dismiss them. But that's really a whole other conversation. Jason, anything you want to get in before we wrap up and come back for hour two? Well, we had Tom back again so quickly because we had a lot to talk about. So hopefully hour two is when we can really open up the can of interestingness because as we've been experiencing once again, censorship is through the roof. Well, there's another thing going on. A lot of parents are pulling their children out of school uh, because of the beer bug regulations. It's a bit like a propaganda poster. Uh, Wayne just sent me stuff from his home state. It's, it's almost hard to imagine that we're even in the United States reading this stuff about what's going to go on in schools. So um, adults tune in to listen to us, but there may be a lot of them homeschooling. So we should keep that in mind. Anyhow, that does bring the first hour of episode 239 to a close. Join us on the other side where we maintain free speech at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W, 777radio.com. That is the only Crow site in the entire world. Everything else is a fraud and they're up to bad things. So join us on the other side. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. <laughs> 